millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, the WTA finals is over and we'll get on to talking about Gabinia Muguruza's win over Annette Contevate in a moment or two because there were some incredible scenes and scenes I don't think I'll ever really forget, actually, uh, from over the course of the last week. Matt's here alongside me, David Law, and uh, we're going to be talking about everything that's gone on over the past couple of days in the semi-finals and the final of the WTA finals and also what's gone on at the ATP finals because there's been some change there with injuries and replacements and uh, alternates coming in uh, and we'll update you with where we are with all of that but I think we we have to start with the ongoing story about the Chinese player Peng Shui and the story that just continues to develop and the concern that continues to grow over her whereabouts and the the lack of verifiable knowledge that she's okay and that she is in going to be in a position to have her allegations investigated um just to to bring you up to date with what happened yesterday um we we got a we we saw a tweet from i think i first saw a tweet from naomi osaka matt that made me think oh well oh she's she's speaking up on um on Peng Shui's behalf and asking you know where is she and and this this comes a day after Steve Simon had said that they'd received some assurances albeit not directly from her or not directly from anybody that directly knows her from the tour that uh, that she was okay and and um and there was nothing to worry about um but he he made it clear that he still wanted to hear more um then suddenly in the afternoon a letter was posted by a China state-affiliated media organization which said the following, and it was coming from, or at least purported to be from, Peng Shui. It says this, Hello everyone, this is Peng Shui. Regarding the recent news released on the official website of the WTA, the content has not been confirmed or verified by myself and it was released without my consent. The news in that release, including the allegation of sexual assault, is not true. I'm not missing, nor am I unsafe. I've just been resting at home and everything is fine. Thank you again for caring about me. If the WTA publishes any more news about me, 
please verify it with me and release it with my consent. As a professional tennis player, I thank you all for your companionship and consideration. I hope to promote Chinese tennis with you all if I have the chance in the future. I hope Chinese tennis will become better and better. Once again, thank you for your consideration. What was your immediate reaction upon reading that first, Matt? Extremely disturbed and unsettling and just didn't think it was Peng Shui writing that, to be quite honest. Um, we understood that that was sent to the WTA and it, it, the way it starts with, hello, everyone, this is Peng Shui. It just doesn't sound right. There's, you know, people picked up on the fact that there's a there's a cursor visible in, in the middle of of the letter just you know that that isn't how an email ends up being sent and frankly I well, it was really quite sickening actually there was a lot of concern about Peng Shui at this point you know I mean as there already had been but this just ramped it up even more for me yeah and I, th- I think what you're saying there is is what most people within the sport of tennis felt and were saying um, we then received quite shortly afterwards a statement from Steve Simon, the WTA's chairman and CEO, which read as follows. The statement released today by Chinese state media concerning Peng Shui only raises my concerns as to her safety and whereabouts. I have a hard time believing that Peng Shui actually wrote the email we received or believes what is being attributed to her. Peng Shui displayed incredible courage in describing an allegation of sexual assault against a former top official in the Chinese government. The WTA and the rest of the world need independent and verifiable proof that she is safe. I have repeatedly tried to reach her via numerous forms of communication to no avail. Peng Shui must be allowed to speak freely without coercion or intimidation from any source. Her allegation of sexual assault must be respected, investigated, with full transparency and without censorship. The voices of women need to be heard and respected, not censored nor dictated to. That's what Steve Simon had to say in response. And, I mean, it continues to escalate, really, Matt, doesn't it? Based on that, more and more people are taking an interest in this story. I've seen... China correspondents on the BBC and on CNN who are normally covering non-sports stories are all focused now on this on this issue. Um, there's no suggestion that uh, that we're going to hear from her in from anybody. No, we, we seem to be at a bit of a, a standoff right now. But quite clearly, Steve Simon is not for backing down and and he, I I think I think that's really refreshing and that that the leader of a sport that has such a financial stake in China is is not budging on this particular issue not fudging his words not hedging not using management speak not talking about you know the 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 tournaments that he needs to bear in mind obviously this is way way bigger than that this gets down to the you know, this is life. This is this is the essence of of what's the point of anything, and and I'm just pleased that he's being unequivocal and blunt about it. Quite honestly, yeah. And I think all of the WTA's statements have really hit the right notes in terms of what needs to be said. You know, first and foremost, Punctuate's safety is the utmost concern. We need reassurances. We need someone to be able to speak to her. Um, but then he's also mentioned that, you know, censorship is not OK. He's also mentioned that 
the initial allegations which were made and then taken down also need to be investigated. I think, you know, there's there's lots of parts to this story and, and he's addressed all of them with his statements. So I, I have been extremely impressed and by how forceful those have been. But yeah, my my overriding feeling about this story is, as I said, I just feel pretty sick about it, to be honest, because there's a there's a person at the, at the centre of this and we don't know whether she's OK or not. And I find that extremely worrying. Mm. Yeah, well said. Um, we can only hope for the best uh, at this stage. And uh, once we hear more news, we'll we'll bring it to you um, here on the tennis podcast. Now, happier times, happier scenes that were seen in Guadalajara. Yeah, Matt. what a what a set of conflicting emotions we're all feeling. Yeah. I think at the moment, as, as I said, this story is with Peng Shui is disturbing and is sort of I think at the forefront of everyone's mind at the moment. And then throw in, you know less less serious but also sad we'll get to it some some quotes from roger federer that have come out this week um but then the sort of antithesis to all of that and sort of running at the same time alongside those news stories has just been this awesome incredible event in guadalajara that's taken place with great tennis great crowds great scenes that have really left you feeling positive about the sport and the future of the sport you know it's it's been a absolute triumph i think guadalajara mm. and I, I do wonder whether steve simon sitting in the corner of that court flanked by billy jean king and chris everts and the various people that have helped to put this event on i wonder whether there's a a pause for thought there sitting there i mean obviously look you know he's as he's as concerned as you can hear about punk shui as anybody really in the sport is um but the WTA went all in with China, basically for money, because it's the most lucrative market imaginable. Two years ago, they were staging a tournament with three times the, the, the amount of prize money on offer for the same event as they're able to put forth for from Guadalajara. But perhaps this just matters more in the long run. Maybe you just have to take that financial hit and think, well, yeah, but look what we gain. And the way Garbinia Magarutha carried herself all week long, we'll get to Catherine's prediction, how she saw this coming because she'd heard her in the press conference, she got it right. <laughs> We'd better get to it, otherwise Crikey. she might never had speak a to us again. Blooming tweet about this. I t- tweeted about this at nine o'clock and not even that was satisfactory for Catherine Whittaker. <laughs> I got a message about it. Uh, you be- better be on the agenda, she said. Well, it's on the agenda, I'm talking about it. Anyway... She got it right. She said Muguruza would win the title. She's won the title. But not only the the victory came to pass, as Catherine thought it would, but the, the sheer overwhelming joy uh, of, of Muguruza was one of the images I'll take with me, that with the backdrop of the crowd. And it was a it was a light bulb moment for, for Muguruza, this. I mean, she's been playing for years and... And she admitted she's just felt stressed a lot of the time. She's too tight, too tightly wound to really enjoy it and to really be able to engage with a crowd. And here she was playing against Contevator, who, you know, she'd beaten in the round-robin stages as well. But, I mean, don't forget, Magarutha lost her first round-robin match of this tournament. And she's come through and won it. And the way she collapsed to the ground upon match point, I've only seen happen 
a handful of times and always it's always been in Grand Slam finals you know it's I remember when Federer won his first one when Nadal has won several of his titles just collapsing almost dangerously collapsing to the ground as though they lose control of their body in that moment there's the, there's the one of Guy Forget winning the Davis Cup in 1991 that we that we looked back on and he he just fell to the, to the ground like a sack of potatoes has suddenly been chucked out of a lorry you know and 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 Leighton Hewitt there's a few of him and and that was Megarutha in this moment of victory I, I don't I never really thought I'd see her lose control of her bodily um, function in order to to sort of stand up, you know, <laughs> the way she did. Yeah, and, and it's it's all the more impactful that it's someone like Murutha who, when she plays tennis, is sort of defined by that poise and that self control that she sort of carries herself with on the court. You know, she's she, she cuts quite a stoic figure a lot of the time, very level headed, very measured. Obviously, she's capable of really inspired brilliance but most of the time she's pretty just assured on the court so to see her so emotional I think was was sort of just more impactful and and I loved the way she ran over to her team at the end and and gave them a sort of massive hug for you know a really long time she just stayed there and obviously Mugruth's team has been has been a big talking point throughout her career you know that that coaching relationship she had with Sam Sumek was, you know, it was it was a bit fraught. It, it wasn't happy, I don't think, a lot of the time. And she seems really content with her team at the moment. And I thought that was a lovely, lovely moment. And yeah, I mean, I don't think she would have won this title had it not been in Mexico, had it, had it not been there. I, she hadn't been in brilliant form the past few weeks. But being there inspired her to produce a level which we know she has in her. She just has to find it sometimes, and it it brought it out of her. And she mentioned in her her post match speech that she'd heard a rumor during the U.S. Open that they were planning to bring the WTA Finals to Guadalajara, and her face lit up. You know, she was taken back to that very moment she found out, and she just said she had this extra motivation that she then played with to make sure she got to the event and. Once she got there, as you said, she lost She lost that first match. This was not a straightforward route to the title for her. She had to get better with every match, and she did, and sort of carried by that crowd, she played inspirational tennis. And, you know, she's, she said afterwards, I think this has been the best year in my career. You know, I've not, I've not won a Grand Slam, but I just feel happier, more stable, less dramatic. And I just think we saw all of those emotions just in the moment of victory here. Mm. She she looked hap- happier and more won over by the moment than either of her two Grand Slam mm. titles. Yeah, in all honesty. Um, and uh, it was interesting that she said she'd spoken to her agent earlier in the week about how he, he was saying, "Look, why don't you engage with this crowd?" <laughs> you know. Mm. So you all, and she said, "I know. I mean, I hold it in all the time." And. And look, it's ever so easy for somebody like me who doesn't know what it's like to say, oh, why don't you share your emotions and all this sort of thing. And and Catherine and Tim Hemmen had a really interesting conversation about being demonstrative on a tennis court. And, and Hemmen had kind of almost practiced and taught himself how to engage with a crowd so that that he knew how to do it when he was out there, he, almost like rehearsing it. And, and I, I think that that's 
probably she felt a bit uncomfortable, a bit awkward about the thought of it. And then suddenly there's this moment of just letting go, letting mm. loose and going with the moment. And and it all came to fruition. What, what, what about the match itself, Matt? Because 6-3-7-5, was, was this Contivate underperforming? Was it Muguruza playing at lights out? What, what were your thoughts? Well, it was the second time this week, of course, that Muguruza had beaten Contevate. I mean, Contevate's pretty much beaten everyone over the past six or eight weeks, and yet Muguruza's beaten her twice in the last few days. So really impressive, I think, for Muguruza. You have to give her a lot of credit for sort of forcing forcing that win, I think. It, it, was, it was a close match. I think Muguruza played better when it mattered, to be honest, at just the back end of, of both sets. Uh, she was... 3-2 down in the first set, Muguruza won the last four games, 6-3, and she was 5-3 down in the second set, won the last four games and, and took it 7-5. Um, you know, she finished off the first set with a sort of pinpoint lob, didn't she? And That was incredible, wasn't it? Because to hit a lob like that off the back foot in at altitude where the ball's flying through the mm. air to control a shot like that and still get it over the opponent's head and still bring it back down inside the baseline... That's rare. Yeah, it was some shot. And actually, she looked quite surprised that it had dropped in. Uh, it, was, it was just a perfect shot. And then the last four games of the match, yeah, she broke Contivate twice in that period. And I felt just got the balance right. You know, she, she really managed to keep going for her shots without making errors, whereas Contivate started to leak a few errors a little bit. And, you know, just, just when it mattered, Muguruza played better, I felt. And that was why she wrapped it up in two sets. Mm. semi-finals Magrutha had beaten Paola Badosa which was a surprise to me obviously because I thought Badosa would win the title I know you did as well what what was your feeling with that I mean it was it seemed to me that they were having some pretty spectacular rallies in that match I didn't feel like Badosa played badly I th- it felt like Magrutha would just incrementally would lifted her level throughout the week I thought that was her best performance of the week. I didn't see that much of the initial Muguruza Contivate match, um, mm. but I I felt like the semi final was was her best performance. Um, but Badosa perhaps ran out a little ran out of steam a little bit. Um, I do think the scheduling is a bit problematic in both the ATP finals and the WTA finals, where in each semi final you've got one player who's had an additional day of rest. Mm. Um, and I, I, I felt like Muguruza was fresher. She was more intense. She was just perhaps getting across her force of personality a little bit more in the match. Um, but no, I, I think there was a really pivotal moment in the second set where Badosa fended off some break points with some amazing shots down the line. But that didn't put Muguruza off. You know, she eventually did break in that game she, and then saved a load of break points in the next game. Just just withstood everything that Badosa had to throw at her. I thought it was a really, really impressive performance and I was really encouraged to see that the result of that match was on the front page of the Spanish sports newspaper Marca, which is, is a big deal. I, I When I lived in Spain for a few months, I used to walk past the newspaper stand every day and I would see the front cover and you know, it was always football. It was um, it was always La Liga on the front cover. You know, even during the Australian Open of 2017, I remember it taking Nadal pretty much getting to the final to get on the front cover. And so to knock football off, I think, is a really big deal. And I know it's the international break, but, you know, 
I think it was it was a significant moment that actually that 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 match between these two players, not at a Grand Slam, but obviously two Spanish players, was was being recognised in that way. I think this has been a really big tournament for Spanish tennis, actually, and and they and they see a really bright future. Obviously, Muguruza is sort of right in her peak, I think, at twenty eight, but also has great years ahead of her, and they've obviously got Alcaraz in the men as well and Nadal's probably not done yet so you know they're in a really good good place and I just thought it was it was cool that they got that attention yeah it really is uh and uh Conservate beat Maria Sakkari that was that was a tense match mm. the third set of that I mean they they were it was a real arm wrestle of a match but I don't know I think there are there are still those little question marks about Sakkari in, in these big eliminator matches where you stand to reach a final or not. And and I, I think a record from what I was hearing isn't good in those situations generally in semifinals. And that's that's the next step for her, isn't it? Because her tennis over the course of the week was a match for all of the players and yet she, she didn't go all the way. Yeah, quite. I think when it gets to the crunch time, she perhaps doesn't quite play her best tennis. I, I, I think that stat is... She's one and six, I think, for the year in, in semifinals. One win, six losses. As Contivate, on the other hand, is has won all of her semifinals this season. I think seven and zero. Oh. And yeah, it, that match came down to a very specific moment, didn't it? The, the four three game in the final set, Sakari serving. I think she had eight game points and couldn't take any of them. And Contivate had one break point and just pounced on it immediately and took it and then. And then sealed the match. Um, yeah, I think that probably did tell the tell the story. Really, Sakari, such a good player, made so many strides, but needs to find a way to play her best in the biggest moments. I think, I think I I felt her momentum from getting through the groups might carry her through that. But Contevate impressed me. It, it it really takes me a while to reframe a player in my mind, and I think I'm having to do that with Contevate at the moment. You know. Remember it happening with Medvedev when he had that mm. run in 2019. He was presenting us with so much evidence that he was now a really top player and here to stay. You know, US Open final, he won some Masters events. And yet, it, honestly, it probably was the ATP finals of last year where it really clicked for me just how good Medvedev is. It took me time to sort of appreciate his his game and I think mm. I'm getting that a bit with Contivate. You know, I'm I'm probably not giving her the sort of credit she deserves by not sort of picking her in all of these matches to win because she is in amazing form. It's just I I sort of fall back on on the history that we've seen from her a little bit, a bit too much. And you know, I suppose I'm trying to avoid recency bias, but if she can carry this on into next year, we we definitely need to think of Contivate as a different sort of player because she's shown that she can win matches when it matters and and she can beat the best players in the world regularly. Yeah, I think a lot will depend on firepower because she looked like she had firepower over the course of these last mm. six weeks and during this tournament is where I felt like I felt the power. I felt the way she's imposing herself on, on these opponents. But... I've, we've seen it before, Caroline Garcia, I always go back to a few years ago having a run like that, and um, Alina Svitolina winning the tournament and, and still kind of staying more or less at the same level. So let's see whether Contivate's got another gear. And I think in terms of the reframing, 
I feel Zachary still has some work to do there to make everybody reframe that view, mm. including her own. She's got to get over the hump somehow here, and she's got to do so before scar tissue builds in her mind and really starts holding her back. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, that's how I view it. Um, yeah, look, Catherine said this would happen. She said that Muguruza would win. She said that Conservate would win uh, Kluge the other week. She said that Djokovic would win Paris. That's three in a row in the newsletter that she's got right. She's saying that is unprecedented success Matt, this morning it's the streak i think i think we've never had a we've never had a streak like this of someone stringing together correct predictions week in week out um right can we move on there <laughs> uh so sign up to the newsletter if you want to know who Catherine thinks will win the atv finals because we're going to do that later today right <laughs> in the show notes there's the link press it sign up See what she said. <laughs> okay, Catherine, happy now, are we? Or, or do I need to say some more? Matt, you got anything else to well, add? Well, I just wanted to say, just sort of rounding things off on Muguruza, I suppose. I think Muguruza has been sort of rejuvenated for quite a while now. You know, I, I mm. sort of think back to the 2020 Australian Open, really. You know, it, Yeah, I was thinking back to this year's Australian Open, but of course she reached the final last year, didn't she? She reached the final there, and, and she came in talking about how she climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and had this new perspective, and Conchita Martinez was, was on her team full-time. And, you know, sort of since then, obviously last year less so, in, massively interrupted by COVID, but really this year she's had the Muguruza trademarks back, you know, that walk on the court, that that presence, that force of personality has all been there. She's been she's been talked about as a contender at big tournaments and, and she's looked happier again. And she's also added in a sort of week in, week out consistency, which she's never really had before. But the thing missing was a big title. You know, she'd won Dubai, but this is a big step up from Dubai and she's got that now and she's... You know, she said, I've, I've proved to myself that I can be the best player in the world. And I think that is really exciting for next season to have Muguruza motivated, hungry and just able to win big titles again. And, you know, there's this there's this quirk of her career that she keeps winning titles on hard courts. And yet the two Grand Slams she's won have been on clay and grass and she hasn't got the hard court Grand Slams. Yeah. So... You know, I, I was reading in uh, in the Spanish press, they were sort of comparing her to Uma Thurman's character in Kill Bill, who sort of she's just got a list of things to tick off and targets to, to sort of get. And the next two for her are, are those hard-court slams. She's got such a CV, she just needs to sort of target them. And, and I really think she will. I think we'll see a really motivated Muguruza in Melbourne at the start of the next year. Wasn't Uma Thurman ticking off people that she's going to kill? Yes. Oh, I know. It's 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 a stretch of an analogy, but I... What the feels about this? Well, there's this whole sort of, you know, people say Muga ruthless, don't they? And there's this, there is a sort of ruthless streak to her, I think, sometimes. And I think she'd she'd probably carry that character off quite well. Oh, I think it, so. If she, if she got the, the role in the remake, mm. you know. <laughs> 
Oh, blimey. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> uh, right, well, uh, the doubles final was won by Barbara Krichikova and Katerina Siniakova. They beat uh, Shea Suwei and Elise Mertens and were the dominant team throughout the whole doubles. Nobody beat them. Nobody really looked like beating them. And, uh, yeah, great scenes afterwards. Um, I, I just feel, feel like for Krichikova to win that doubles title having come from Billie Jean King Cup and all the emotions involved in that and, and to achieve this, that is something else, really. And then just caps off the most stunning year. And even just seeing her in the world's top 10 and rewinding a year and thinking, well, imagine if somebody had showed us that list this time last year. We would not have thought that possible. I would have thought, that's the doubles ranking, isn't it? Mm. You know, she's not in the top 10 in the singles. But it, you know, the fact that she's been able to keep up the doubles and still be the best is is absolutely mind-blowing and um some some amazing scenes afterwards they gave their speeches and uh and she herself was uh was able to take the microphone and and she'd obviously prepared this and and uh, and it was really something i'll just read out to you what what she said uh, Barbara Krachikova. She said, Today is a really special day for the Czech Republic and also our Slovak friends. We call this day the Velvet Revolution. On November the 17th, 1989, Czechs and Slovaks had been one nation. We had very brave Czechoslovakian students and citizens, and they went outside to the streets, and they had been demonstrating against the non-democratic regime we had them. Thanks to them, and their sacrifice, my generation can live in a beautiful country back home and we can live without any restrictions and with freedom. So everybody understands what was happening back then. We have here Martina Navratilova, who was forced to emigrate from Czechoslovakia because of the regime there. Now I should say at, that, at this point, Martina, as soon as Krachikova began this speech, Martina was tearing up and she, was, she, she cried throughout this speech. Barbara went on to say, I'm really happy that the regime is not there anymore and we can live in freedom i mean it was it was really something that matt um and uh like i say it was clearly pre-prepared but it was out of the blue in terms of what we were expecting and and to see martina in that shot as well um in, in so emotional was 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 a wonderful moment really extraordinary i mean it takes it takes something to i think deliver the best speech when Suwei Shea is also giving a speech, you know, she usually <laughs> is the one to steal the show in those situations. Yeah. But I mean, I've I've never seen anything like that. I thought it was amazing. The, the, the sort of history lesson she gave, just perfectly picked, as you said, and, and the camera had Martina Navratilova in the background tearing up. Siniakova was in tears as well. Krikshikova had to pause a few times to sort of compose herself. I, th- I thought it was extraordinary and and really says a lot about who she is as well you know someone who who recognizes that you know she's playing for something bigger than herself and yeah it it was an amazing moment there was perhaps maybe even a bit more poignancy because of what is going on at the moment and how scared people are Mm. for peng shui 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, that brings the WTA finals to a close and, I mean, really a unanimous unequivocal success that event and and i mean we obviously don't know what's going to happen over the next 12 months the tour is supposed to go back to china and and have this event in shenzhen and and there's enormous financial incentive to do so and they've got another eight years on the contract i believe but let's hope guadalajara's got a future on the calendar i know it has a smaller event already but this event was just uplifting doesn't even cover it really does it have any quotes ever aged more badly than craig tizer's about the wta finals going to guadalajara i mean they were a bit odd at the time weren't they those quotes um i, I sort of had a look back on what he said he said as, as a spectacle he thought it would be frightening um i mean it turns out to be one of the best things that's happened to tennis in a, in a very long time in terms of as a spectacle i mean I'll admit I thought the standard of tennis would be lower. You know, I thought that I thought that the players would struggle more in those conditions and actually it was really 
cool to see them adapt and adjust. And I think the more matches the players had on court, the better they got, you know, most of them anyway. Um, and I think particularly at night, the conditions weren't actually that much of an issue. You know, they're all so good. They're all so capable of adjusting. And of course, the great irony of this is that I'm sure Ash Barty would have adjusted as well as anyone with her game and, and, and her style as well. And yeah, I think, you know, we missed some some top players. Barty obviously wasn't there. I think, you know, there were some other big names who would have who would have perhaps made the event even better had they qualified. But, you know, what I would say is I never felt like I missed any any of those players. The ones who were there were awesome and they they produced great matches and the atmosphere and the whole occasion just just made the event kind of unmissable really and and something that you would want to see repeated Hmm. yeah um i i I suspect uh, i don't know craig tizer personally but i've heard him interview before and i've i i just wonder whether the year had been so long by then he and barty had been on the road for so long and then suddenly this kind of comes out of the blue and they weren't necessarily expecting it and he's asked about it i i dare say he will feel differently now and probably would would be would be big enough to admit that okay got that one wrong you know i didn't we didn't fancy going we'd had enough to be quite honest we needed a break but it was it was clearly a great event i bet you he probably will say that yeah no i'm sure i'm sure i'm i'm sort of teasing a bit really but uh no i mean you're right though i mean we we covered those quotes at the time and i thought that that they were a bit out of order to be honest i i I like people speaking their mind but actually i thought you know come on yeah we haven't got an event unless these people put it on and uh, they turn it into a brilliant event so what about the atp finals which uh which has been going on the last couple of days as well we've been watching Catherine; she's been doing a sterling job um as have daniel medvedev and novak djokovic who are through into the semi-finals but really the attentions have been drawn elsewhere haven't they because two alternates have come in um as we expected matteo berrettini didn't make it he tried he he left it until a few hours before yannick sinner came in and just stole the show i mean he was he was fantastic wasn't he cameron norrie also played yesterday narrowly lost out to casper rude but um yeah sinner looked the business he didn't cower in that spotlight at all did he it seemed to really get him going yeah it was it was a great performance and and the crowd took to him just as they've taken to berrettini i i did wonder whether whether they would you know because berrettini He's a slightly flashier player, you know. He's he's just a little bit more easy to get behind. I would have thought with that awesome power and that and that forehand. But actually, I thought Sinner came out firing, and 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 they really responded to that. And and actually, I th- I was impressed with the way he used the crowd's energy. You know, I, I thought he was really positive. Lots of fist pumps. I've not really seen that from Yannick Sinner before. I, I sort of wonder whether he's looked at what Francis Tiafo did against him and thought. You know, I know he was a bit critical of it at the time, but I wonder if he thought, actually, I should get in on that a bit. And I should, you know, just as we were talking about with, with Hemman and, and, and with Muguruza, trying to learn to use the crowd, I, I think, is a is yeah. a skill. And if, if he's developed that, then then that will just make him all the more dangerous, I think. And, and yeah, Norrie, I think he caught Rude out, didn't he, in, in that first set. Rude was very honest afterwards about... The, the mental adjustment he had to make, you know, he he went into that day expecting to be the underdog against Sitsipas, and then a few hours later he's suddenly the favourite against Cameron Norrie, 
and he was he wasn't very good in that first set to be honest and Nuri really took advantage and obviously there's there was a great line that Nuri gave Catherine on on prime that no one was practicing with him because he was the only lefty and and <laughs> and no one wanted to hit with a lefty and i think you know that was probably a bit of an adjustment for rude in that first set but I must say credit to rude he really flipped that match i, th- I think i think Nuri played a sloppy game to get broken in the second set but after that i thought rude really stepped up started dictating and just looked the business really in a way that he has kind of all season a couple of days ago, Matt, you were talking about Andre Rublev's incredible serving performance, and we were putting it all down to the wonder of Nat. <laughs> um, mm, those rumours have been exaggerated. Yeah, he was going to become a multiple Grand Slam champion over the next year uh, as a direct result of discovering how to nap. Uh, however, he ran into Novak Djokovic and got his clock cleaned by uh, the world number one. I mean, it, it was not close. Uh, I thought Djokovic, once he kind of woke up, he, he was a bit sluggish at the start. But once he got going, he was awesome. And uh, and But Rublev was not good, I didn't think. Greg Rosetsky on, on the prime coverage in particular was, was pretty critical of his, just his lack of belief. You know, he, he didn't, Okay, he might not beat Novak Djokovic. He probably won't, but he stepped onto court really without much confidence. I think. Um, I think it's a bad matchup. You know, Rublev sort of hits straight up the court, doesn't he, with a lot of pace, and Djokovic just absorbs all of that, deflects it. And I always think with Djokovic, it's very difficult to hit through him. You've got to sort of find ways around him. You know, with slice coming forward, mixing it up, and that isn't Rublev's game. And that sort of creates this extra layer of conversation about whether Rublev needs to develop that game, that plan B. And I think there's a there's a sort of discussion in football at the moment, isn't there, that the top teams don't have a plan B. You know, if, if Man City need a goal, they don't throw on a big centre forward. They sort of keep playing their same way and it sort of make plan A better seems to be the sort of modern approach in football and I think I've I've seen that analysis transferred to Rublev in tennis you know he doesn't necessarily need to completely overhaul his game he just needs to get better doing what he is doing and I think probably I I agree with that I don't think we're going to see Rublev playing in lots of different styles in the future but it does seem that there are some very important improvements he needs to make for his current style to flourish against the best players you know he needs to improve that second serve I don't think that's a stylistic change it just needs to I think make it less predictable is 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 the analysis he's sort of constantly just hitting it in the middle of the box and someone like Djokovic is taking advantage of it and then he needs to come forward with more intent I think seems to be the analysis in a way that Medvedev does like like I never think Medvedev's very good at the net if someone else brings him in but if he comes in on his own terms I think he's okay he can he can manage it he can sort of get the job done whereas Rublev can't do that at the moment he so I think those are there are some areas he needs to improve but whether that's a plan b I don't know or whether it's just improving as a player so that he can implement plan a better I think there's a there's a sort of subtle difference there but Basically, he needs to improve to to mm. really trouble those those top players. But I think that's one of the ways that I think Novak Djokovic needs to be given sufficient credit mm. that 
not only does he make it difficult for these opponents, and I realise he's had a long career within which to evolve, but if you go back to his early career, he was much more like Rublev uh, in terms of being straight up and down the court. Okay, an incredible retriever. He always had that elasticity that nobody else had as well. But he's shown in the last couple of years so much more to his game Generally, I feel like sometimes he, he, when he knows he's going to win, he starts to indulge these parts of the game to try them out, things he's learned and picked up from Goran Ivanisevic or on the practice court or, or, or in just studying tennis. And, and then once in a while, when plan A isn't working, you actually see a proper, okay, gear shift. I'm going to shift gear now and I'm going to do something a different way. And and he has multiple ways to beat you, which is makes him a much more interesting player to watch for me. Yeah, it, I think I couldn't agree more. He is the template, you know. His serve, you know, Novak Djokovic's serve must be one of the best in the world at the moment. The the placement on it, the the accuracy of it, just the number of times he just rolls through service games now is is something he never used to be able to do. It used to be a real vulnerability, and he's improved that so much. And I just think, generally at this at this tournament, there's a different feel about Djokovic that this week than we've seen in the past few editions of this ATP Finals. He's often in the last few years arrived here, maybe not looking very fresh or not looking very motivated even and this year he just seems very content and calm I think I think he's pleased it's in Italy I think he's happy that it's moved but also I just think Paris was a really big deal for him wrapping up the seventh year and number one playing in front of his two kids for the first time he just seems really happy and and calm and there's 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 a much better energy about him this week than there has been at this stage yeah. of the season for the last few years. Yeah, and he's he's been able to take downtime and he's he's doing all of this stuff on his own terms mm. more these days. But I agree with you, there's a contentment about him after what we saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, so he's into the semi-finals. Where, where are we in these groups, quickly? I mean, we're going to be back tomorrow night uh, with a proper roundup of where we stand ahead of the, the semi-finals and we'll, we'll wrap up the last couple of group matches. But cracky, I'm, I'm struggling to keep on top of all this with all these alternates coming in. So in the Djokovic group, he's through and Norrie is out. So they will face each other in, in a dead rubber. So the the second qualifier from that group will be the winner of Rublev Rude. So that's a straight shootout. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I think so. The other group, we've got uh, Medvedev through and then... Zverev, Herkacz and Sinner can all still qualify. Sinner needs to beat Medvedev and hope that Herkacz beats Zverev. Zverev will qualify if he beats Herkacz and Herkacz needs Medvedev to beat Sinner and himself to beat Zverev. Right. Thank goodness for Matt Roberts. Okay, it'll all be out of date by the time you listen. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd ask just because I wanted to know. So that's all that matters, isn't it? Uh, right, a little bit of news to to just uh, round things up on this edition of the Tennis Podcast because Roger Federer has been speaking. And when Roger Federer speaks, especially with like this, we kind of have to talk about it. And he's been speaking to a journalist called Mathieu Eichmann, I think. Does that sound about right to you, Matt? Let's go with that. Sounds great. 
<laughs> and uh, fortunately, Simon Graff, who is a journalist I do know, has translated every last quote uh, for me to be able to read out to you here on the Tennis Podcast. And this is what Federer said. I would be incredibly surprised if, if I were able to play again already at Wimbledon in 2022. Australia is not an option at all. But that's not a surprise for me. Even before the operation, we knew that a break of many months would be necessary afterwards. I wanted to wait for the first major checkup before making a public statement, and the checkup was very encouraging. I have started a long rehabilitation process in which I put all my heart and soul into, but the situation is not the same as in 2016. I have to be patient. Uh, about the injury, he said, the examinations after the grass season revealed that my right inner meniscus was injured again. It had to be stitched, which required a certain period of immobilization, and the doctors took the opportunity to treat my cartilage as well. Uh, the doctors say that I will be able to jog lightly in January and gradually return to the court, gently. They don't know, but I've already been playing a bit of tennis with the kids. <laughs> then in March or April I can start training again in a tennis-like way I had this operation done so that I could ski with my children or play football or tennis in the future my primary motivation was to get back in shape for my normal life but I wanted to approach this rehab with the mentality and body of a top athlete as far as my sporting ambitions are concerned I want to see once again what I can achieve as a tennis pro I'm fighting for it and I'm very motivated. I feel the support of my team and my family. We all wish that I can say goodbye on my own terms and on a court. Goodness me. Um, even though I know that the end is near, I want to try to play some big matches again. It won't be easy, but I will try. I think that every athlete should decide for himself. There is no right time to retire. There is only the time that suits each individual athlete. It's a very personal decision. Um, and, and he goes on just finally to talk about how he doesn't want people to remember him for his last set at Wimbledon last July, which you may remember he lost six love to Hubert Hurkacz. He says, will they remember that or, or will they remember my Grand Slam titles uh, and what it triggered in them when they watched me play? My money's on the latter, uh, which I think is probably about right. Um, but, you know, it's... <sighs> He's right to give it all the time and chance that he can. If if that's in him, if that's in his heart, if that's in his mind that he wants to go through this and he's prepared to go through this and he, and he quite clearly needs to go through this in order to have a certain standard of life going forwards and then maybe that just might enable him to, to play again, then he should do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there was, obviously those were pretty amazing quotes from Federer and really detailed and in depth it was it was quite interesting how they came about because there have been some quotes from I think Ivan Lubacic who's who's in Turin he'd obviously been interviewed and I think he said something like the Australian Open is unlikely um which when we then get this information from from Federer you know the Australian Open's not even in the question you know Wimbledon six months later is is unlikely you know, and, and that always felt like the case to me when he described that what he was going to have to have done in that video message the other month. Totally. I, I hadn't even thought that the Australian Open was a possibility for Federer. Um, I think, you know, that was a really telling quote, wasn't it? That not wanting that image of the one at Wimbledon to be the last. You know, I, I, I do think a lot of this is about being able to go out on his own terms. Um 
I think he sort of feels a responsibility to himself to 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 give that a go. I think you know I, I don't think he necessarily has this responsibility, but I think he feels it to the fans as well. Um, and yeah, I mean it, it's sad. But this sort of whole end of, of Federer's career has been. You know, it's been really slow on, on the one hand. You know, we're talking about another six, seven, seven months time and, and not knowing. At the same time, it could also have been really sudden and we might not have sort of mm. savoured it. You know, that match at Wimbledon against her catch might have been the last one he could play and we didn't really get a moment. And I think he sort of wants a moment, I suppose, to say goodbye. And he deserves that. So... You know, obviously, there's probably the fact that he reached the Wimbledon quarterfinal last year on on one leg, basically, that must make him think if he can get healthy, oh, could I could I play a big match again? You know, I'm I'm sure part of him does think like that. I, I think that's unlikely, but you never you never write off off greatness. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think this is about trying to get a moment and just do it on his own terms rather than have it taken away from him which is what the knee injury has done over the last year I suppose I'll I'll always now have Andy Murray in the back of my mind mm. a because he he did have his moment if you remember against Roberto Bautistragut in the, at the Australian Open when he was really having to sort of hold himself together in order to to play that but the fact that he's now got to this stage of being able to play week in week out again I, I that seemed as absurd back then as this does now yes i would say and so until roger federer says that's it i i will not write him off completely i would be very surprised if he's able to make this work personally but i was very surprised that andy murray made it work to where he is so good luck to him is is all i can say i hope he manages to get what he wants because he deserves it he really does deserve it and I think any athlete who's given that much and been around that long and has put that much into it and look he's he's got a heck of a lot out of it as well he's got unending adulation he's he's a wealthy wealthy man he's had all the success you could ever hope for and more but I still hope the best for him and and players like him to get that final moment yeah. and be able to say goodbye the way they want to. It's 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 not that easy to do. It's pretty rare, I think, really. But here's hoping. So that's uh, another edition of the Tennis Podcast done. Hope you've enjoyed it. Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer and top bloke. Billie Jean King is courtside for every single match, no matter the time of day <laughs> or night in Guadalajara. And she's just amazing. <laughs> and uh, she's showing absolutely no ill effects of coming over from Prague, having spent the whole week there. And jet lag? <laughs> Get away. <laughs> Doesn't feel that. That was really, you know, another great thing about Guadalajara, how they had... Billie Jean King come out for the trophy ceremony. They had Martino, obviously, for the doubles one. And then Chris Evert was also there for the for the singles trophy ceremony. She, she sort of jogged onto court when they announced her name, which I thought was, was excellent. Yeah, really cool to see such legends still part of it. Yeah, I love when the legends are still part of it, mm. when they feel part of it. I realise, look, they're being paid to be ambassadors in the case of Martina and Chris Everts, etc. But I just think that's, A, a really smart move from the WTA and the, and the tournament. And it's great that the players who don't, the former players who don't need the money, they 
they want to be part of it as well they, and they want to rub shoulders with the current players it's all just so lovely it's so important i think really that for the future of the sport and for for women's sport for these players to stand shoulder to shoulder and boost each other and big each other up and support each other and these champions to mentor the next generation and the next generation to know what they've done for the mm. for the game and oh all gets me going <laughs> uh, uh anyway billy jean king is sponsoring billy jean the dog uh scousel mousel rogue and zeus are our three pet mascots uh we've got a mascot for the week as well lyra who's lovely and who's going in the newsletter very soon uh and we've got a shout out matt yep for Chris Dolan. All right, Chris. Hello, Chris. I don't have any Chris's that I can think of right now, so I'm just going to say hello, Chris. <laughs> Chris Dolan. <laughs> Different spelling to Chris Albert Lee. Indeed. We've got all the Chris's covered, <laughs> uh, but very much appreciate your support, Chris. Um, and yeah, we'll be back again tomorrow night, so Friday night UK time, if I can stay up. I'm struggling with these hours, uh, but I'll try. Uh, in order to record another tennis podcast after the group stages of the ATP finals. And then we'll be back with Catherine probably on Monday in order to wrap up everything. Uh, And Matt will be on his way to Madrid for the Davis Cup finals. So Yeah, I'll be in Madrid come Monday. I I, I travel on Sunday. Marvellous. It's all happening. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be back tomorrow night. Uh, See you then. 